Well, this morning, before we celebrate the Lord's Supper, uh, we want to return uh, to our study of the book of Hebrews. So let me ask you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5, uh, verses 11 through 14, which will be our text for today. And as you're turning there, uh, our verses for today uh, can be summarized by the title of today's message. It's time to grow up. Uh, And so follow in your Bibles as I read these verses. Concerning him, and he's referring back uh, to his teaching about Christ uh, being our high priest in heaven who gives mercy and grace to those who come to him in times of need. So concerning him, Christ is our high priest. We have much to say, and it's hard to explain since... You have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Look at the introduction uh, in uh, your sermon notes uh, for these verses. Uh, Throughout Hebrews, and I I, I believe we've all sensed this as we've walked through this book verse by verse, the the writer gives the impression there's something deeply wrong with the Hebrew Christians. Uh, for example, look in your sermon notes at just uh, several examples, and we could cite more. In chapter 2, verse 1, he exhorts them to pay closer attention to God's Word, lest they drift from it and neglect God's salvation. In chapter 3, verse 8, he warns them not to harden their hearts towards God's Word like the children of Israel in the wilderness. In chapter 3, verse 12, he warns them of an evil heart of unbelief that doubts God's Word and refuses to place its reliance on God. In chapter 4, verse 1, he warns them of falling short of entering God's rest. In 4.11, he exhorts them to be diligent, to enter God's rest and not fall into disobedience. And then in chapter 3, verse 6, verse 14, and chapter 4, verse 14, he exhorts them to hold fast to the confession of their faith to the end. And, and with the note and uh, impression that they're struggling with that. And of course, uh, we know they were. Uh, they were confronted with persecution and they were finding it more expedient to drift from that confession of faith because of the precarious position it put them in, uh, living in a society that was hostile to their faith. And then look at that next statement. In Hebrews 5, 11, and 14, the writer tells us, he finally tells us what is at the heart of his concern. The Hebrew Christians had failed to grow up. They had failed to mature as Christians, digressing into a state of spiritual immaturity. And he accuses the Hebrew Christians of being adult infants who are still nursing. 
He gives this very tragic and actually grotesque picture to try to shock them into the reality of the uh, position that they're in and this condition of spiritual immaturity that you are adult infants who are still nursing. Now, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, the verses we just read, introduce the third of five major warnings that are found in the book of Hebrews. And every one of these warnings deals with the believer's response to God's Word. The third warning uh, begins at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, and goes all the way through Hebrews chapter 6, verse 8. So it will take us two Sundays uh, to cover this third warning. Now, in today's message, I want us to look at three truths. I want us to look at first the marks of spiritual immaturity. Second, we want to see the cause of spiritual immaturity. And then we'll conclude before going into the Lord's Supper with the cure for spiritual immaturity. So follow in your notes as well as on the PowerPoint. And first look at the marks of spiritual maturity. And the writer mentions four marks of spiritual immaturity in this passage. The first mark is the inability to share spiritual truths with others. The inability to share spiritual truths with others. Look at verse 12 again. He said, for though by this time, he said, you ought to be teachers. You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. See, sharing spiritual truth is a mark of spiritual maturity. Now, not all Christians have the gift of teaching, but listen now. One of the greatest evidences of spiritual growth is an excitement not only to learn God's Word, but to share with others what God is teaching you and the difference that it is making in your life. Hebrews was written to a group of Christians who had been saved long enough that they should have been sharing God's truth to help others grow. But sadly, as the Scripture says, they were in need again of someone to teach them the elementary principles of Christianity. Tragically, this church had become a daycare center with adult men and women sitting around in circles playing with ABC blocks. Instead of pressing on into maturity, they had regressed into a second childhood. And sadly, very sadly, this same problem exists in many of our churches uh, today. A widespread immaturity and shallowness and superficiality. Look at the second mark of spiritual immaturity, a baby food diet. A baby food diet. The latter part of verse 12 says, you have come to need milk and not solid food. Milk is pre-digested food that is especially suited for babies. Now, in this context, and I wish I had more time to uh, develop this, but with the Lord's Supper, I, I simply don't. But in this context, the milk of God's Word relates to what Christ did in the past for the believer on earth through His life, death, burial and resurrection. 
That milk of God's word is that basic message of repentance from sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, forgiveness, and eternal life. And as babies, these Hebrew Christians were still in need of someone to prepare even that milk for them and to feed it to them. Now, the meat of God's word, the meat of God's word is what Christ is doing in the present right now in heaven for the believer as our merciful and faithful high priest and to teach the believer how to enter his presence to receive his grace and mercy in our daily trials so that we can live consistently for his glory. Now, now please do not misunderstand. Even a mature adult does not outgrow milk and the enjoyment of milk. As believers, we can always learn more about what our Lord did for us on earth, and we can grow in our appreciation for our crucified Savior. But to grow in the Christian life, you cannot stop there. You must learn and experience what your ascended Lord is doing for you right now in heaven. You must learn how to access His presence, the presence of your great high priest, and how through intimacy with Him, to be empowered by Him, to live for Him in any and all circumstances. Only then, only then would the Hebrew Christians be able to endure persecution and remain faithful to Christ. And only then will we be able to endure our trials and remain faithful to Christ. It was time for these Hebrew Christians to grow up. And it's time for us to grow up too. Amen? Amen. Look at the third mark of spiritual immaturity. Unskillful in using or applying God's Word. The spiritually immature are unskillful on how to use God's Word, to apply God's Word. Hebrews 5 verse 13, For everyone who partakes only milk is not accustomed to the Word of Righteousness, for he is a babe. See, those who are spiritually immature, they become lazy at applying God's Word. They become content to be hearers, but not doers. Notice the phrase in this verse, not accustomed to the word of righteousness. In other words, the spiritually immature do not know how to live out God's word in righteous living. They do not know how to apply God's word to their station in life and to the situations in life. They become mastered by life circumstances and by their own feelings. And as a result, they're like a baby or a small child who lacks discernment and is easily deceived or misled. Look at the fourth characteristic of the spiritually immature. There is a self-centered focus that cries for all the benefits of Christianity while neglecting the responsibilities. That's a sign of spiritual immaturity. See, a baby, it's it's all about what? That baby. A baby is very self-centered. It's all about me, my wants, my needs. So the spiritually immature, they're like little spiritual babies. 
they cry, they, they long for all the benefits, all the blessings, but they shy away from the hard truth, from the responsibilities, from the commands of Christ. Notice again the phrase, not accustomed to the word of righteousness. This is a, a very fascinating, I believe, observation. There is another meaning to that phrase than the one we just uh, talked about. In the uh, early church, uh, and you can see this in uh, Polycarp and others, in the early church, that phrase became the technical expression that a Christian must never deny his relationship with Christ, even if it meant the sacrifice of his life. In other words, the adult Christian is the mature believer who recognizes the moral claim that God has on his, on his life. And he's willing to suffer martyrdom before he would ever deny the righteousness of Christ. On the other hand, the immature, they do not apply God's word on a daily basis to live for Christ. And as a result, they will never stand the test if they're called to die for Christ. The immature demand instant gratification and are unwilling to delay gratification for future reward. Therefore, they literally fall apart under any adversity, hardship, suffering, or testing. Now, the children of Israel in the wilderness are the classic example of this. And uh, we looked at their example when we were studying Hebrews chapter 3 and uh, chapter 4. The Scripture tells us that although they saw the works of God, they, what, never knew the ways of God. Uh, the Scripture tells us that this group of believers, they pained God in their hearts by never really getting to know God, understand God, and grow and develop an intimacy with God. They remain spiritual babes. They remain very immature. And if you follow them through their wilderness journeys, every time they came to any type of hardship, any kind of test, they they whined. They cried like a little baby. And all they do is complain, grumble, murmur. They get bitter. They, they want to change their leadership. They get, they get mad at mommy and daddy. Remember, there were several times they wanted to stone Moses and Aaron, elect new leadership, and actually go back to Egypt. Instead of going forward, they began to go backward. And as a result, they what? They forfeited, as we saw, the rest of trust that God desired to give them. And beloved, as we saw in chapters 3 and 4, the same thing can happen to a believer today. We can forfeit the rest of faith that Jesus is extending to us if we refuse to trust Him, if we refuse to grow and to press on unto maturity. There's no such thing as a status quo Christian or a static Christian. You're either going forward or you're either going backwards. There's no standing still. And you need to see that reality. Now look with me at the cause of spiritual immaturity. And there's just one cause given in this passage, just one, and we've already alluded to it. Hebrews 5 verse 11 says, you have become dull of hearing. That's the one cause he gets. You've become, he says, dull of hearing. Matter of fact, that word dull, in the Greek text, it literally means no push. There's no get up and go. It's 
got up and gone. And, uh, and, and there's this dullness, there's this, there's this laziness. Uh, look there in your sermon notes at the next statement. The word dull is used only one other time in the New Testament. And in that passage, we discover the opposite of being dull of hearing, which helps us understand what it means to be dull of hearing. And that other passage is actually in the book of Hebrews. Look at Hebrews chapter 6 there in your notes. We're on the PowerPoint, verses 11 and 12. This is the only other place in the entire New Testament where that same word translated dull in 5.11 is found. It says, and we desire each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, that you may not be sluggish. There's the word. It is the same identical Greek word. In 5.11, it's translated dull. Here, it's translated sluggish in the New American uh, Version. He says, that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So what's the opposite of being dull of hearing? Being diligent to hear. To embrace God's promises in faith and in patience to inherit the reward. Therefore, the next statement in your notes, therefore, to be dull of hearing, here's a good definition. To be dull of hearing is a hearing of God's word that is unresponsive in the heart. A hearing of God's word void of the obedience of faith which produces perseverance in trials. So dull of hearing is a hearing of God's word that is unresponsive in one's heart. A hearing of God's word void of the obedience of faith. In other words, you never take God's word and take that step of obedience to put it into practice, to apply it in your life. And it's that obedience of faith that provides perseverance in our trials. Now, it is very important to see in the five warnings in the book of Hebrews, the path that a believer follows in falling into a backslidden state which deeply grieves God and dishonors the Lord Jesus Christ. It all begins with the first warning that we already looked at in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And that warning is what? A warning not to drift from God's Word. So that's where it begins. A believer just begins to subtly drift, begins to subtly neglect getting into God's Word, getting under the teaching of God's Word. And then where does that drifting lead you to? The second warning in the book of Hebrews that's found in chapter 3, verse 7, and goes all the way through chapter 4, verse 13. Drifting leads to doubting God's Word. Uh, That struggle with unbelief, which leads to anxiety and worry, where you become paralyzed to put your reliance on God, and you shrink back in that doubt and in unbelief. And where does doubting God's Word lead? Well, it leads you right to Hebrews 5.11. You become dull of hearing, drifting to doubting to dull of hearing. In other words, the Bible becomes dull. The Bible no longer excites you. You lose your hunger for God's Word. Preaching becomes dull. Your Sunday school class becomes dull. Everything that is spiritual becomes dull. You no longer receive God's Word with the purpose to act 
on it. You become, as James says, merely a hearer of God's Word and not a doer, one who quickly forgets what he hears and therefore fails to put God's Word into practice. As a result, you stop growing in your Christian life. You fall into a state of spiritual immaturity. Tragically, you regress. You go backwards like the Hebrew Christians to become an adult infant who's still nursing and is very self-centered, where it's all about my gratification instead of God's glorification, where I see God as a means to get what I want instead of realizing as a mature believer, no, it's all about God. And I'm God's means to accomplish His end, to accomplish His purposes. Now look at the cure for spiritual immaturity before we enter our time with the Lord's Supper. Hebrews 5 verse 14. But solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil, to achieve healthy growth. And this is true in both the physical and the spiritual realm. There are three fundamental things that are needed. And they're there, and we'll look at them now in your notes. First, what do you need? Nourishing food. You need nourishing food. You need a good diet. He says, but solid food is for the mature. Solid food is for the mature. I love the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 15 of the book that uh, bears his name. And in uh, verse 16, he wrote this. He said, thy words were found. You know what the rest of it says? Yeah, somebody knows. And I did eat them. And they became the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Isn't that a great verse? He said, thy words were found and I ate them. I digested them. And they became the joy and the rejoicing of what? My heart. It was more than just a mental academic exercise. No, I, I approached God's word to love it and to learn it, to live it, to work it into the very fabric of my, my life. Uh, Turn in your Bibles. This is one of my favorite verses in the entire New Testament. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. This is the attitude that we should have towards God's Word. This, to feed on it, to digest it. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Uh, Paul writes this concerning these Thessalonican uh, believers. He says, and for this reason, we also... Uh, constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe, who put your trust and reliance in God's word. Now, I want you to see two key words. The word receive, when he says, when you receive from us the word of God's message, and then that word accepted. Then you accepted it, not as the word of men. That word received in the Greek text, it literally means to welcome something in a very enthusiastic, excited way. In other words, the word of God is not dull. No, you're excited. You're hungry for it. 
You long for it. And it's talking about you welcome it into your life to be at home in your life. I think of Colossians 3.16. I believe we alluded to this last Sunday. Let the word of Christ, what? Dwell in you richly. Be at home in you. Find a place where it can rest comfortably because you're bringing your life in harmony with that truth. And then that, that second word, accepted, in the Greek text, that word literally means to receive something for the purpose of using it. Applying it. So what Paul is saying, Paul is saying, here's the, the secret to the growth of these young believers in Thessalonica. And if you're familiar, we, you know, we, uh, about two summers ago, we uh, did a book study through First and Second Thessalonians. And this was a group of believers that were on fire for Christ. And they were wonderfully growing in their relationship with Christ. And here's the key. It was their attitude and the approach to the Word of God. The Word of God was not dull to them. No, they came to the Word of God with enthusiasm to welcome it, to embrace it with their hearts. Again, to live it, learn it, love it. And then they, they, they came to it to, to put it into practice, to obey it, to apply it. Not, just to gain, not for just an academic exercise, but to learn how to live, to learn how to live righteously. And folks, the Word of God is not for the purpose of giving you more information. It's for the purpose of transformation. Changing your life. So, so how do you feed on God's word? Well, it begins with what we've just talked about, the way you receive it. You acknowledge that this is God's word. And as God's word, it has authority over my life. And I am to subject my life to God's teaching in every area of my life. And therefore, I welcome it into my heart. And then as I receive it, as I welcome it, here's a key. I have to personalize that word. What is this word saying to me in my station in life, in my situations in life? Is there a command for me to to obey? Is there a promise for me to believe? Is there a warning for me to heed? Is there a prayer to pray? Is there a sin to confess? What do I learn about God's character and about His integrity and His reliance where I can praise Him and thank Him? See, you should never come to the Word of God. You should never read the Word of God. You should never sit under any teaching, under any preaching, without every time taking some step of obedience to put it into practice, to apply what you've heard. And that is how... You grow as you personalize it and then as you act on it. So nourishing food is the first thing that's necessary uh, to move from spiritual immaturity to being spiritually mature. Look at the second thing, sufficient exercise. Sufficient exercise. It says, who because of practice. Notice that phrase, who because of practice. Again, it goes back to not only receiving God's Word, taking it in, but practicing it, exercising it. Uh, Take your Bibles. We've alluded to this already today, but a great cross-reference to this uh, uh, point is James chapter 1. Look over at James chapter 1. And this doesn't need a lot of commentary. I've, I've preached on this many times in the past. 
it's just, it's just a great to see this passage correlated with what we're talking about. Look at James chapter 1. Look at verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. That's what we were just talking about. That's where it all begins. Receiving God's word with humility, which means surrendering to it, submitting to it, embracing it, to live it out. And then look at verse 22. But prove yourselves, what's the next word, beloved? Doers. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. See, when you become just a hearer of God's word, you mistakenly think, because I know a lot, I'm growing. No! The entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation is so clear. Jesus says... Not blessed is the man who knows, but blessed is the man who does what I say. There's no growth without obedience. It has nothing to do with the amount of knowledge that you have. Now, I'm not trying to say knowledge is not important. Don't misunderstand me. But knowledge is useless if you don't put it into practice. That's the point. And when you fail to put that in practice, that knowledge tends to just puff one up. Make one arrogant, where they become deceived to realize that in reality, although they may have a lot of information, they're spiritually immature. And then notice he says, for, for if anyone is a hearer, verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. See, that? he's talking about the person comes into the worship service. The mirror of God's Word is held up. He sees his life in relationship in comparison to Jesus. He, he sees the changes that he needs to make. He sees the things that he needs to turn to that we talked about in verse 21, putting aside filthiness and all that remains of... I, I, I see that. I, I see the need to put God's Word into practice to apply it. But he says he leaves and he quickly forgets what he heard. He quickly forgets what he saw. And in verse 25, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, applies it, obeys it, practices it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. So what is the cure for spiritual immaturity first? Nourishing food, a good diet where you're feeding on the whole counsel of God's Word. Sufficient exercise, where you're putting God's Word into practice. And then the third thing, wise decisions. Wise decisions. It says, have their senses, notice the very latter part of uh, verse 14, they have their senses trained to discern good and evil. In other words, what this is saying is, We must bring the entirety of our lives under God's authority, which means, therefore, I must bring my entire life through the filter of God's Word. As a husband, as a father, as an employee, employee, as a neighbor, as a parent, whatever the... 
my station life, whatever my relationships are in life, I have to bring all that under the authority of God's Word. Saying the Word of God is central to all that I am and all that I'm to do. And I'm to bring that through the filter of God's Word. And how is this to affect me? How am I to apply God's Word as a husband, as a father, as a parent, or as a child, or employer, or employee? How am I to apply God's Word in this particular circumstance, or adversity, or trial, or difficulty? Stay with James. Look at James chapter 1 again. Look at verse 2. Verse 2, 3, and 4 is talking about the process of growth about pressing on to maturity. He says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's talking about growth. But growth is not easy. And we often hit crossroads and situations And it's difficult to discern the proper way to go. But look at verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him what? Ask of God. Who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And the point is, if you ask, he will give, and he's given that wisdom in his word. Here's the answer. For every relationship, for every situation... The principles are here that you are to apply that will make the difference. But notice verse 6, but let him ask in faith without doubting God's word. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So we go back to where does growth begin? It's welcoming God's Word as my ultimate authority and in humility submitting myself to it. See, the double-minded man is the, is the man who's halting between two positions. He has a divided heart. He's not totally sold out to God. He's not totally surrendered to the Lord. And he says, don't expect to receive anything from God if you're going to try to come to me with some sort of half heart, some sort of divided heart. But he says, you come to me with a whole heart. You come to me with a desire to please me, a desire to grow up as a Christian. You come to me asking for wisdom in your life station or your life situation, and you search and seek my word. I will give you that wisdom. I'll give you that guidance. And you'll grow through the practice of that. I love a wonderful prayer in Colossians 1 along these lines. It says that God would what? Fill us. That he would fill us with the knowledge of what he's already willed for our lives. And where do we find what God has already willed for our lives? Right here. So that prayer is, God, fill me with your word. Because in your word, I find what you've willed for my life. And why do I want to be filled with God's word? The prayer goes on, that I might walk what? Worthy of God to please him in every aspect of my life, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in my knowledge of him. So today, we have been introduced to the third warning. A warning about becoming dull of hearing. Uh, We've seen the marks of spiritual immaturity. We've seen the cause of spiritual immaturity, dull of hearing. And we've looked at the cure 
for spiritual immaturity. Nourishing food, sufficient exercise, wise decisions. Now, as we go into the Lord's Supper, would you take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews 12? There's nothing that should motivate us more in our growth, in our walk with our Lord, than coming to the Lord's Supper to express our appreciation and devotion and worship for who He is and what He did for us. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Let me just read simply verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, talking about all those that preceded us, that walked that walk of faith, of practicing, obeying God's Word. He said, let us also lay aside every encumbrance or every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That's growth. And then I love verse 2. Fixing our eyes on who? Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So here's my admonition as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Right now, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the only one who can empower us in this walk of growth to become more and more like Him. And as we fix our eyes on Jesus, let's first look at the one who endured the cross. As Andy mentioned earlier, to pay off our sin debt, to cancel our sin debt, to impute His righteousness to us, to give us a right standing before God. But folks, let's not just stop there. Let's also see, as it says, Him as the one who sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's see Him as a present reality. Not what He, just, what he did for us in the past only, but what He's doing for us now as our advocate, as our intercessor, that great and faithful high priest who says, come, come, whatever you need, I am. Come, receive my mercy, my grace. Have you failed God? Have you sinned? He's the only one that has the mercy to forgive you, to restore your fellowship with him. Do you need encouragement? He's the only one that can provide that strength. Do you need peace? Do you need joy? You're only going to find true joy, true satisfaction by coming to Him in the present. So as we come, yes, we do remember. Remember what He did for us, which is the basis, the foundation for who we are as believers. But what He did for us in the past was meant to enable us to what? Access Him in the present. 
to come into that Holy of Holies and to know intimacy with Him.